It is Wednesday, June 26th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, we went live with, what was it, 223 beastly player profiles on Monday? I think that was the number, and it uh, it felt like more. <laughs> it sure did. And, I'm, I, you know, we'll keep updating those as we get through the summer and we get to training camp and guys start getting hurt and all that. But they're on the site. You can read why we projected players the way we have to this point. Those, of course, are bound to change as we get into training camp and guys win jobs and tear ACLs and all that. But it's all up on the site. If you're a DS Insider, you can check it all out. Let us know where we're wrong. Start getting ready for your drafts. Today, we're going to continue our projection series on the podcast. We are now into the AFC South, which has some fun teams and some not-so-fun teams. Jared, I think we're going to start out with what should be one of the more fun fantasy teams this year, and that's the Houston Texans. Yeah, Houston Texans. So um, one, I think, small change in their coaching staff, um, Tim Tim Kelly promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, he's been with the team for um, the previous five seasons, spent some time as a tight ends coach, offensive quality control coach. But Bill O'Brien is back as head coach, and I think it's still going to be his offense. So I'm not expecting much change as far as you know the, the, the scheme and the, the uh, run-pass splits here. I agree. They went without an offensive coordinator in 2017 and 2018 and then promoted a dude who was already there. And here's what Bill O'Brien said in February, according to the team website, quote, We have a system in place. He knows the system. He knows where the system needs to be improved. He knows how it can be tweaked. He knows the things that we have to keep doing that we did well last year. End quote. This seems like um, there was probably some pressure for Bill O'Brien to hire somebody to be the coordinator or that Bill O'Brien felt like he needed somebody to take a little bit of the weight off of his job. Either way, I agree. I don't think a whole lot's going to change here. We got the league's seventh most run heavy offense in Houston last season. It was the second most run heavy of Bill O'Brien's five seasons in Houston. Overall, his offenses there have averaged just 56.6% pass. I went with 56% pass for my projections for this year. I expect Houston to be contenders again. They've gone nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, uh, then had a losing season. Then last year, uh, won the division. I believe it was 11-5, I think, last year, won the division. Anyway, the only losing campaign was when Deshaun Watson got hurt. So I think they'll contend. I think they'll lean run again. Yeah, me too. Bill O'Brien, definitely a run-leaning play caller. Um, in five seasons in Houston, his, his teams have finished top six in rush attempts four times. And, and of course, it's easier to, to kind of skew towards the run when you have a quarterback in Deshaun Watson where, you know, sometimes you're calling pass he ends up running. So yeah, I have them at 54% pass, which would be just, just a tick higher pass than they were last season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll get into that QB running in a minute because it's QB notes time. And Deshaun Watson threw all but one of Houston's pass attempts last year in his return from the ACL tear that ended his rookie season about midway through finished his QB four in fantasy. That one other Houston pass was thrown by Deandre Hopkins, by the way, Watson had 10 top 12 finishes last year, 62.5% of his starts. Only four quarterbacks fared better than he did in that category. His touchdown rate predictably dropped from 9.3% in his abbreviated rookie season to just 5.1% last year. That tied for 14th in the league. So maybe Watson settles back in at that level again, Mm -hmm. but there's also some rebound potential in that particular number, I think. Yeah, there definitely is with with the weapons he has, which we'll talk about later here. But yeah, like you said, Watson, fourth among quarterbacks last year, led all quarterbacks in fantasy points per game as a rookie. So over the last two seasons now, only Patrick Mahomes, who obviously you know has just started for one season, has averaged more fantasy points per game than Deshaun Watson. Had a better season as a passer in his second year than he did in his first, despite that touchdown rate coming down. Um, Watson's Completion rate went up to 68.3%. That was seventh best in the league. He finished fourth league-wide in yards per attempt. And, of course, still gave us that rushing production, which we know is there. Um, He's averaging close to 36 rushing yards per game now through two seasons. Last year, third among quarterbacks in carries, third among yards, and third in touchdowns. Yeah, all five of his touchdowns came inside the red zone, four of them from inside the 10. 
And, and he led the league in scrambles in 2018, according to Pro Football Focus, well ahead of the rest of the position. And he did that despite coming off that ACL tear. So the knee's only going to be in better shape this year. Scrambles made up 60% of Deshaun Watson's rushing attempts last year. By comparison, Cam Newton scrambled on 27% of his rushing attempts. Lamar Jackson on 12%. So we don't need designed Deshaun Watson runs. He's going to turn passing plays into running plays. It's going to stay part of the offense. Yeah, and that obviously gives him a nice floor, which is, as you mentioned, um, 10 top 12 weeks for Watson last year. He also had four weeks as a top two quarterback. So, you know, that rushing ability, the explosive weapons he has, um, I think gives him weak winning upside. It did last year, and I think it will in 2019 as well. Yeah, he did all that despite taking the most sacks in the league, 62 of them. Houston ranked 20th in pass blocking, according to PFF. Uh, worst in the league in adjusted sack rate, according to Football Outsiders. They did address that issue by drafting Titus Howard in round one, Max Sharping in round two. Both of those guys sound like they have tackle and guard potential. Seems like at least one of them should be starting this year, if not both of them. So, you know, we'll see how much Houston improves in that area, but the team is at least trying to improve it. Yeah, I think the offensive line is the big story for Watson and just the Texans in general. Um, those 62 sacks he took last year, the most by any quarterback since John Kitna back in 2006. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how big an upgrade those those rookies are. I think it's going to be key for Watson and the rest of these guys. Yeah, it'll be nice if he gets hit less, but he showed us last year that he doesn't need to get hit less to deliver big fantasy points. Uh, running back notes, Lamar Miller missed two games, left another early. In his other 13 contests, he handled 51.1% of Houston carries, 8.9% of the targets. That would have ranked 11th in carry share at the position. He came in at 18th. Uh, What I take away from that is they don't want to overload Lamar Miller because it was him and it was Alfred Blue and it was not much else in the backfield. And we still only had Lamar Miller carrying the ball at a level that would have ranked 11th among running backs. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we'll obviously see what Dante Foreman um, is able to do this season. I will say, though, Miller was still pretty effective last season as a ball carrier. 4.6 yards per carry. That was actually his best mark as a Houston Texan. Um, And that was despite Houston finishing 27th in Football Outsiders adjusted line yards. So again, you know, the blocking in front of Miller wasn't great. He finished 23rd out of 47 qualifying running backs in PFF's elusive rating. He was actually 12th among those 47 in PFF rushing grade. So I think the guy can still get it done. I think the question for this year is going to be volume and you know how how much Dante Foreman cuts into that volume. Yeah, I think Lamar Miller remains a fine player, and I think he's probably better when he doesn't get as many touches. I mean, he was a more explosive player in Miami than he has been in Houston. Even last year, as you mentioned, the, the yards per carry were up from the previous two Houston seasons. If you take out his his 97-yard run, that rushing average drops, though, from 4.6 to 4.2. Mm. You know, that's a little bit cherry-picking. He had that 97-yard run, so you have to include it. Um, but I, I think ideally... Houston would love to take some of his work away and give it to Deontay Foreman. And then, I mean, even on the receiving side, uh, Alfred Blue drew 27 targets to Lamar Miller's 35. So uh, I I think that's just another example of how they would like to limit Lamar Miller's touches a little bit. Take some pressure off him, even if it's not necessarily saying anything bad about him. Yeah, he actually saw his fewest targets and catches per game last year as a Texan. He finished 39th among running backs and catches the other knock against Miller, at least, you know, since he's been in Houston, he hasn't scored many rushing touchdowns, just 13 total over three years. And that's largely been because he hasn't seen a ton of work near the goal line. His ranks in carries inside the five over the past three seasons have been 20th, 35th and 31st. Now the other story with Lamar Miller, of course, nobody in fantasy actually likes him, (laughs) but He's running back 31 on play draft right now. He's going behind Tevin Coleman, Daryl Henderson, David Montgomery, among many others. I'm easily taking Lamar Miller ahead of those guys. So no matter what you say negatively about him at this point, as long as it's not he's out for the season, uh, he remains a fantasy draft value. Yeah, he's not exciting. And I think if you look at the numbers, he's not going to win you many weeks. But last year, he was a nice weekly floor play. He had eight top 24 PPR weeks, only 14 running backs had more than that. Yeah. And that's going to be especially nice when we get to lineup setting time where you like to have somebody you can just stick in the lineup and not worry about, you know, guessing whether it's going to be a good week or not for him. 
Yep, exactly. Deontay Foreman, meanwhile, is going running back 46 on play draft. Uh, Alfred Blue finished as the number 49 running back in half PPR scoring last year, which is what they play on that site. Uh, Despite just two total touchdowns, one game of double-digit fantasy points in the half PPR format. So Deontay Foreman's not going far from where Alfred Blue finished last year. The other running backs on the roster, Demarie Crockett, Josh Ferguson, Karan Higdon, Buddy Howell. Ferguson is the only one of those guys with any NFL touches to this point. 39 for his career, zero last season. Yeah, it's really all about health for Foreman. Obviously, you know, had the torn Achilles in November of 2017, barely got on the field last year. He wasn't good when he did, but that, that shouldn't come as a surprise. You know, I think it, it tends to take guys a year plus to return from Achilles injury. So we'll see. We've heard some positive buzz on him this spring. And like you said, I think if he, if he's healthy, he there's no reason he shouldn't be the number two running back and even challenge Miller for the top spot in the depth chart. Yeah, I think that's what Foreman has over a lot of other guys in his draft range is that he could gain work and per, I mean, perhaps even on the, the high end overtake Lamar Miller in touches if he's that good, even if Lamar Miller does not get hurt. Uh, Foreman was getting off to a, a, an intriguing start as a rookie, five games of 10 plus carries among his 10 appearances before that injury that you mentioned. There were some explosive plays in the preseason, some in the regular season. Um, the injury knocked out the rest of that year and basically all of last year. But it, we're talking about a 230 pound back mm-hmm. who ran a 4-4-5-40 at his pro day had over 2,000 yards rushing in his final season at Texas, a third-round pick, and he just turned 23 in April, so he's still a very young guy. Right now, he he had just the one big season at Texas, and obviously hasn't done you know much in the NFL, so he's still, I think, largely a question mark, and I think the biggest knock against him as a prospect would be that he barely did anything in the passing game mm-hmm. at Texas, so you know, I, I'm not sure how much upside he has there. But if he, if he can get, you know, 150 carries even this season, he's probably going to beat his current ADP. Pass catcher notes, DeAndre Hopkins led all wide receivers in target share each of the past two seasons, which every time I look back at the, the target shares he's gotten, it makes me wonder if maybe I'm even underrating him a little bit heading into this year. Four straight seasons over 150 targets, 11 plus touchdown catches in three of those four years. And the only year in that span where he didn't was the Brock Osweiler season, uh, which also presented his lowest yards per catch of his career so far. Hopkins catch rate leaped to 70.6% last year. And then we found out after the season that he was the most banged up he has ever been in football, according to him. Yeah, what was it, a shoulder injury he said he was playing for? We, we, through, we still don't know the extent of it. I mean, he was a foot um, injury during the season, and then the shoulder popped up in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think one of the the best things working in Hopkins' favor, I think he's missed, like, what, one game his entire career? So he, he's been reliable as far as being on the field. And he's been reliable as far as weekly production goes. Um, he leads all wide receivers with 50 games of 12-plus PPR points over the past four seasons. Um, he's second to Antonio Brown in games of 15-plus PPR points. Um, now, you, you talked about the volume, and I do think it's going to remain big this season, but I, I think we need to project it to come down at least a little bit just with Will Fuller there, with Kiki Cutie and what he showed last season. If you look at last year just with Will Fuller, um, in seven games with Fuller on the field, Hopkins averaged 9.6 targets per game on a 29.5% target share. 11 games without, that spiked up to 10.7 targets per game, 34.5% target share. I think that, you know, 28, 29, maybe 30% share is closer to what we should expect this season. Still still a huge number, and again, I still think Hopkins is a good bet to finish top five in the NFL in targets this season. Right. I mean, even 28% is going to rank among the best target shares in, in the entire league. And if you look back over the past two seasons – uh, Hopkins saw 33% of targets in 16 games with Fuller, 34% in 15 games without. So over the past two years, it really hasn't made um, much difference whether Will Fuller's in the lineup or not. And those are the two seasons that he missed significant time, talking about Will Fuller. Right. Fuller is the one that – well, actually, before we get away from Hopkins, uh, you know, he came out a, a little bit lower than I anticipated, and he's sitting five for us in our wide receiver rankings. But for me – that's five in a top five where any of those five guys could easily lead the position in scoring. Right. I think if you're looking for safety among those top five, I would rank Hopkins number one just because, again, he he doesn't miss games. He's returning to the same offense with the same quarterback. So I think he's the safest bet among those. I think his ceiling just might be a bit lower. 
Yeah, and I mean, even really down to seven, I think, in our rankings, you could make a, a strong case for any of those guys leading the position in, in fantasy points at the end of the year, especially in PPR. I agree that Hopkins is safe. I mean, I don't even know that his ceiling is lower because I think he has as much touchdown upside as anybody, but I guess maybe Odell Beckham and Devontae Adams, but I mean, even there, it's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, that's fair. I guess when I say ceiling, I mean volume, which even that sounds crazy because you know we just talked about how many, how many targets he's seen. But we mm-hmm. again, we have a, a run heavier offense with I think two other receivers who should play significant roles this year. So I, I don't think Hopkins has quite the target ceiling of someone like a Julio Jones. And of course, let's watch to make sure that Hopkins looks looks healthy this summer. Doesn't have any setbacks. Doesn't you know like miss time with a hamstring injury that gets downplayed. Give it any indication that there's holdover issues from last season. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Will Fuller, uh, big splits without with and without Deshaun Watson over the past two years. Eleven games with the quarterback. Six point one targets. Four point one catches. Seventy one point one yards and one full touchdown per game in 20 games without Watson over that span. It's also six targets, but 3.1 catches, 39 yards, and a tenth of a touchdown. To be fair there, it's mostly Tom Savage and Brock Osweiler that he played with uh, without Deshaun Watson on the field. But uh, he has scored touchdowns in eight of his 11 games with Deshaun Watson, Mm -hmm. a 24.4% touchdown rate that is likely to come down especially when you consider that he's only seen seven total red zone targets with the QB. We'll see though. I mean, obviously Fuller plus Watson equals good shot at high TD rate. Yeah. And I mean, Phil Fuller is that big play guys. You could see high TD rates continuing, not probably to the extent we've seen so far, but obviously the big issue with Fuller is the injuries. Um, Since entering the NFL, three different hamstring injuries. He had a knee injury in 2016, broken collarbone, broken ribs, 2017 knee injury and then obviously last October tore his right ACL and that has him iffy for training camp I think we'll see about week one um obviously I I think one of the biggest risk reward picks out there because you have the injury stuff you have you know Kiki QT potentially stealing targets from Fuller this season and even just on on a weekly basis Fuller has been a boomer bust guy on the plus side you know he he's provided week winning weeks just look at last year his weekly PPR finishes in his seven games he finished sixth ninth 32nd 94th 69th 27th and 10th so you know he's all over the map there Mm -hmm. and I should clarify when I said with and without Watson it was uh, over all three of Will Fuller's seasons not just the past two Uh, the risk for me makes him not worth his current price though hamstring issues every season so far Uh, knee injuries every season actually he's had a knee issue in each of his three seasons Uh, coming off the ACL tear now which I know that players can come off ACL tears and be fine the next season at this point, but when we're taking an already injury-prone, slight, speed-dependent wideout, now he's going early in round seven, right ahead of Marvin Jones, Corey Davis, Dante Pettis. I think all those guys are at least similar to Will Fuller in outlook in terms of offering ceiling and um, probably more safety than, than he does. I'd say definitely more safety. I think Fuller though provides more week weekly upside than those guys. You know, he, he's he's wide receiver thirty two in ADP over the last two weeks, which I think is right. I don't think he's a huge value there, but he's a guy who, when he gets to that range in the in the early thirties, I'm going to take some shots on him, especially in best ball leagues. I will let you because I'm going to wait another round or two and take Kiki Cutie, who only played four games last year as a rookie because of his own hamstring issue that just kept recurring. But in those games, he saw 26.5% of the targets. Three of those games did include Will Fuller. He out-targeted Will Fuller in each of the three full Cutie games that they shared. Cutie saw red zone targets in each of his first three games with the team, despite missing the first three games because of injury. He saw red zone targets in all four of his full outings. He brings 4-4-3 speed. I think there's upside on his yards per catch. He saw a very low average depth of target last mm-hmm. year, 4.7 yards. That's So he only averaged 10.3 yards per catch. In college, he averaged 15.2 yards per catch. So he's capable of doing that downfield stuff. We'll see whether Houston works in more of that. I, I would like for that to happen. Even if it doesn't, though, and even if he stays short range, I, I think that he's going to be heavily involved and offer huge upside. Yep, me too. Although I'll say it, you know, I, I know 
you've been talking up Kiki Cutie. Sigmund Bloom, you know, one of the bigger guys in the fantasy industry, loves Kiki Cutie. In drafts on draft.com over the last two weeks, Cutie's climbed all the way to wide receiver 38 in the late eighth round. So I, I don't think, you know, he, he's as big a value as he has been. I still think he's fine there. And I think you can take Fuller and Cutie. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's possible in best ball as well. But I would I'll take Cutie straight up over Will Fuller. I wish that he were cheaper. Uh, I will still take him in that range. I think he's got upside beyond that. Of course, I, I know that we're working on a small sample with him too. I don't expect a 26.5% target share. I don't expect him to average a red zone target per game going forward. But I think that the usage so far and how quickly they got him heavily involved points to the coaching staff being excited and wanting to keep him key to the pass offense. Right. I mean, the, the guy caught 11 balls on 15 targets in his very first game. So I think Houston knows that they want him to be a big part of the passing game. I will be curious, like you said, if his usage changes this season. I think it's possible that he was just never completely healthy mm-hmm. last season with all those hamstring injuries. You know, he was a downfield threat in college, and I think he, he certainly could add that to his game this season. And it can't hurt that he's the healthiest of their top three receivers this spring. So he's getting a little yeah. bit extra time in. Yep. Uh, It also, I think, helps that tight end is not all that interesting. I I do think that Jordan Thomas and Cahale Waring are the most intriguing players that the Texans have at the position, but it's just too crowded for me to like any of them in fantasy. They've got those two. They've got Jordan Aiken still. They've got Darren Fells. They've got Jarrell Adams. I I don't think all these guys make the regular season roster, but I also don't think that it thins out to the point where there's one particularly interesting player. Right. Yeah. There's just too many guys. You know, we, again, we have these three wide receivers who, when they're healthy, are going to, you know, hog a bunch of the targets. And then I, the tight end just hasn't been a big part of Bill O'Brien's offense. And maybe that's because they haven't had any, you know, marquee names. I still don't, still don't think they have any marquee names now, but no tight end has finished higher than 17th in PPR points under O'Brien in Houston. Yeah. Maybe I'll take, maybe I'll try to get Kahale wearing from somebody next offseason in Dynasty after he doesn't do anything as a rookie. But yep. uh, I'm not drafting anybody in redraft this year. Yep, same. Who I like, Deshaun Watson at QB4, especially if he slips beyond his late round mm-hmm. six ADP. For me, I, I think he's – I have him as my QB1 right now. Obviously, you know, I'm not sure that I would bet money on that over Patrick Mahomes, but I absolutely think that he has as good a chance as anyone of finishing there. Yeah, like you said, late sixth round ADP. I started to get interested in him like right beyond that, maybe anywhere in the seventh round. I, I do think that you know, behind Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson probably has the second best chance to lead all quarterbacks in fantasy points this year. And Kiki Cutie, if he's at the end of round eight, I'll take him there. Uh, Deontay Foreman, a similar value. I'm not sure, I guess, who I prefer at their price. Probably still Cutie, but... I think Foreman beats the running backs around him in upside. As I said earlier, uh, he's behind Jarek McKinnon, Jalen Samuels, Ito Smith, just ahead of Peyton Barber, Naheem Hines, and Damian Harris. I'll take Foreman over all those guys. Yeah, Foreman's fine. I'll, I'll get more interested in him if he's on the field in training camp. We're hearing more good things. Again, I think Will Fuller at wide receiver 32 over the last two weeks. Kiki Cutie at wide receiver 38. I think they're both fine there and then Lamar Miller uh, like we said you know at, at running back 31 in ADP finished 23rd last year and yeah there, there's some risk that Foreman takes more carries but Foreman could also just step into you know the role that Alfred Blue played last year and, and Miller could still you know pay off his price tag Fuller's my guy on the who I don't side you can have him at that range I'll take Dante Pettis uh, a couple of best ball shots are fine for Fuller I'm not going to say it's a bad move to take him in round seven there But as we move into lineup setting, I think Fuller becomes a bad pick at that range. He's seen five targets or fewer in 10 of his 17 games over the past two years. I think the target picture is only getting tougher for him going forward. Yeah, probably the ultimate best ball pick. So I'm with you there. Um, I I don't not like DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, at seventh overall, he's not a guy I'm really looking at because I'm trying to get, you know, I'd say one of the top six running backs. I'm taking them ahead of DeAndre Hopkins. I'm probably taking Travis Kelsey at DeAndre Hopkins. And I do prefer Julio Jones at wide receiver. I mean, again, I think Hopkins probably safer, but overall I just like Jones's uh, profile a bit more overall. And uh, in the range where he's going, it's not scary to not get any shares of Hopkins. I don't think, because I don't, you know, I don't think he's heading for a historic season. Like I said, I don't think he's all that different than Devonte Adams, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas. I think all those guys have that 12 plus touchdown upside. Yep, exactly. On to the Colts, where there are no relevant coaching changes. Same deal as last year, right? Yep. Frank Reich back as head coach. Nick Sirianni as offensive coordinator. So 
Um, last year's Colts under the you know the first season under those guys finished seventh in total yards, fifth in points. They were second league wide in pass attempts, seventh in pass rate. And what I really like about Reich is last year's Colts were fifth in total offensive plays, second in situation neutral pace. And in Reich's two seasons as Eagles offensive coordinator, Philly finished fourth and third in offensive plays. So Reich's teams have now finished top five in snaps in three straight seasons. So that, you know, kind of help, helps everyone involved here in Indy. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say his Chargers offenses did well in that category as well. The Colts last year went 75.4% pass in the four games that Marlon mm-hmm. Mack missed. They went about 74% pass in their seven losses, including the, the loss in the playoffs. On the other side, 57% pass in 12 games with Mack. 53.6% run, uh, I'm sorry, pass in their 11 wins, again, including that playoff win at Houston. Frank Reich's five offenses as OC or head coach to this point have averaged 60.4% pass. So that's where I landed with my Colts projections this year. Yeah, the the, the um, numbers in win losses are interesting. And I do think this Colts team is going to be good, which could push them a bit more towards the run. But I still just look at this roster, and especially after adding – Devin Funchess after adding Paris Campbell, Jack Doyle, hopefully back from injury. I still think it should be a pass leaning offense. I would think so as well. I have the notes down under Marlon Mack here though. They they faced a pretty easy schedule from week six on when Marlon Mack was healthy. They only played two playoff teams in that 11 game stretch and the other nine all came against losing records. So I'll be curious to see how they fare you know, win-loss wise and whether that affects, you know, if they lose a couple more games than they were later last season, maybe we do see even more of a passing lean as a result of that. That'd be fine with me because I'm not going to have much Marlon Mack this season, but we'll get to him. Yeah, we'll get to him in a few minutes. <laughs> Quarterback notes, Andrew Luck ain't bad. QB5 last year, QB5 two years before, despite playing only 15 games, of course, missed all of 2017. The fantasy finishes before that. QB eight in fantasy fantasy points per game in 2015. He only played seven games that year. QB one, QB seven, QB ten as a 2012 rookie. Andrew Luck's pretty good. Yeah, he also um, had 12 top 12 finishes last season. That was tied with Matt Ryan for second most behind only Patrick Mahomes. So he was reliable from week to week. Um, yeah, I mean t- tough to find a knock on him. He did have a 6.1 percent touchdown rate last year, fifth highest among 30 quarterbacks. But that was up only about a half a percent from his average over his previous four seasons. So I think he's going to be a high touchdown rate guy. Also, you know, what I'm curious about is the rushing because he averaged 312 rushing yards and three and a half TDs per season prior to last year. Last year, just 148 yards and zero touchdowns. And that that might be by design because of his you know injury issues. I wonder if the Colts are going to continue to limit that rushing ability. But again, we're, we're just picking nits here. He, he's an elite fantasy quarterback. I think it's also that his protection has finally gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, we finally got the, we went from being one of the worst offensive lines in the league for a while to being arguably the best last year. Yep, good point. That definitely helps. The, you mentioned the TD rates high. I think he can remain in that five and a half to six percent range there. Uh, I think there's upside in the yards per attempt. I I will be curious to see if something changes on that front because Andrew Luck ranked just 26th among 39 qualifying passers. In NFL Next Gen's average depth of target last year, he ranked 20th back in 2016. Of course, that was under a different staff. Carson Wentz ranked fourth in 2017 with Frank Reich as his offensive coordinator. So I wonder if we'll see Andrew Luck move a little further downfield with his passes this year now that they have upgraded the uh, wide receiver core. I would assume that they work downfield a little bit more than they did last season. Um, but that I, I think that could go into whether he delivers some upside in his passing yardage. Yeah, I mean, Devin Funch is a downfield guy. Paris Campbell actually wasn't a downfield guy at Ohio State, but he does have that elite speed, so he, he could be. Um, you know, 33% of Lux throws last year went to Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, Zach Pascal, and Dontrell Inman. So I don't think you can understate you know what, what the upgrade and supporting cast is going to mean to him this season. 
Yeah, and Naheem Hines was up there on the target list as well. So, yep. you know, running back was high in the, the pecking order there. Yep. Yeah, I think we, we all like Andrew Luck plenty as a player. We'll get to his actual draft value in a few minutes. Running back notes, though, Marlon Mack, I don't think either of us is really excited about this year, which goes against his general feeling yeah. in fantasy. Was a top 10 fantasy back across formats last year from week six on. Tied for third in rushing touchdowns over that stretch. Tied for just 32nd among running backs in targets over that stretch. Yeah, and that's the knock on him for me is the the lack of involvement in the passing game. He averaged just 2.2 targets per game last season. Out of his 12 games, he had one game of four targets, three games of three targets, and then he had two or fewer targets in eight of his 12 games. And then when he did get the ball in the passing game, he wasn't very good. He was he was actually piss poor. Um, 61 running back back saw 20 plus targets last season. Mack ranked 59th among those 61 in yards per target, 59th in yards per route run, and dead last in pro f- football focus his receiving grade. So I don't really see a reason for the Colts to expand his passing game role this season. Yeah, I mean they have a better receiving running back right there next to him. Frank Reich has called Naheem Hines the third down guy for the stuff that he can do in that area. The, the the one thing I guess working for Marlon Mack here is that Frank Reich said in March, quote, our goal is to be a top five, top seven rushing team. Now, we have no idea whether that means in total carries, in total rushing yards, and rushing efficiency. I would imagine that he cares most about that last thing over rushing volume. We'll see though if they start out running the ball a little bit a little bit more. I know that they're treating Marlon Mack like a, a rushing workhorse. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's built to carry 19 or 20 times a game, though. I don't think that we're going to see that high a carry average. And as we talked about with the targets, I don't see a huge growth there. So I just don't like him as high as you have to take him. Yeah, exactly. The price is the biggest knock against him for me. Um, and like you said, he he ha- he's had injury issues since entering the NFL. He tore his labrum in 2017, cost him just two games, but he needed surgery after the season. He had two separate hamstring injuries last year, and he has two concussions on his resume. So yeah, I'm not. I don't. It doesn't seem like he's built to handle 20 carries per game. You know, he he is. I think the clear lead ball carrier on a really good offense behind a good offensive line. Um, he, he was the clear lead guy near the goal line for the Colts last season. He tied for seventh league wide in, in carries inside the five yard line. So there, there's stuff to like about him. Again, it's just the price, especially in PPR. I, I like Mac a lot better if your league is non PPR. Yeah. 67% of their carries inside the five, 58% of their carries inside the 10, despite missing basically five games, missed four overall, but also missed pieces of two others. Mm-hmm. So Marlon Mack's fine. And I'm not, I'm, he, it, you have to pay too much to get him. That's basically the thing. Yep, exactly. Naheem Hines had a, a nice rookie season, but definitely benefited from Marlon Mack missing time. Saw 40% of the carry share when Mack was out. Saw just 16.7% when Mack was on the field. 15.8% target share when Mack was out. 11% when when, uh, Marlon Mack returned. But that doesn't even show the impact because, as I mentioned earlier, when Marlon Mack was on the field and he was winning, they ran the ball a lot more than they did when he was out. So Hines averaged 8.5 targets when Marlon Mack was not playing. He averaged just 3.9 targets in games that Marlon Mack did play. Yeah, I think those Mack splits are really all you need to know about Hines heading into this season. Hines averaged 16.5 PPR points in those four games without Mack. That would have been 10th best among running backs on the season. In 12 games with Mack, he averaged just 7.9 PPR points. That would have been 59th among running backs. Yeah, so when Marlon Mack's healthy, the playing time's not as good. The touches aren't as good. He barely touched the ball in the playoffs, did Naheem Hines. And now Paris Campbell, it really is a bit of a challenge to to Hines' role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Reich even said so, as, uh, it said as much in early June. Uh, they're similar athletes. Obviously, one's a wideout, one's a running back. But uh, with Paris Campbell in the slot, it's probably going to ding Hines' target yeah. upside just a little bit. Yep, I would, I would think so. And really, I'm not a whole lot. I'm not very interested in anything else in that backfield. Jordan Wilkins saw 44 of his 60 carries last year in the first five games before Marlon Mack was all the way back. And now he's competing with Spencer Ware. I'm going to, at the very least, let that play out before I'm drafting either guy in any format. Right. Yeah. I would guess only one of those guys makes the team, and whoever does would just be a handcuff to Marlon Mack. Right. Pass catcher notes, you got to start with T.Y. Hilton, 12th among wide receivers in PPR points per game in 2018. What do you have on Hilton? 
Yeah, Hilton's just been awesome with a healthy Andrew Luck. So his PPR finishes in Luck's last four healthy seasons, 19th, 11th, 5th, and 14th. Um, set a career high in catch rate last season with Luck back, obviously. Still averaged 16.7 yards per catch. Hilton was 5th among 40, among 82 wide receivers in yards per target at 10.6. That's a high number. It's probably coming down. But Hilton still averaged 9.1 yards per target in the previous three seasons with healthy luck. That's that's still a great number and, and you know, probably something we can reasonably project for 2019. Yeah, saw more targets last year to Hilton with the weaker wide receiver core around him and the Jack Doyle injury. 25% target share over his 16 games, if you include the playoffs. And Hilton, saw, Hilton topped 30% market share in each of their playoff games, which were his second and third largest shares of the season. So when they needed the games most, they were going to Hilton more often. I think that 25% is likely to come down Mm -hmm. this year, given the guys that they have added. I also don't think that it has to. I think he can get into that range. Last year marked just the third most targets per game of T.Y. Hilton's career. He had a midseason lull right around his right hamstring injury that cost him two games. So it's possible if target, his targets would have been even higher uh, had he been fully healthy through the season, higher on a per-game basis. I projected Hilton at a 23% market share when I did my numbers. Wouldn't be surprised if he slips a little bit below that, but I think that's an attainable number too. And I think he's possibly a top eight fantasy receiver if he gets that much. Yeah, I mean, he, he's never been a huge volume guy. Hilton has only once reached a 24% target share. And again, that hasn't stopped him from finishing, you know, as a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two. I actually only projected him at 22% of the targets, but he, you know, still came in inside my top 15 wide receivers. Volatile scorer, of course, but last year was a, was a PPR starter, meaning top 36 in 79% of his games, 10th among all wideouts. Yep. Devin Funchess, at the March League meetings, Coach Frank Reich told reporters, quote, I watched Devin's tape, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I was like, please, let's get this guy. So apparently he really wanted Devin Funchess. One-year deal, $10 bucks. There's $3 million more in incentives that he could earn. No Colt besides T.Y. Hilton topped 17% market share last year. So what do you think is available for Funchess? So again... Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, Zach Pascal, Dontre Lindman combined for 209 targets last year. I mean, I, I think Funchess could soak up like half of those. So I think 100 targets is within the realm of possibility for him. And, you know, he's going to be playing in the best offense of his career with the best quarterback of his career. Guy's still just 25 years old. I mean, you know, he's had an up and down career so far, really struggled last year. But he's also, you know, just two years removed from a wide receiver 20 finish. So I, I think he, he's a guy I've been targeting where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute too. I projected him at a 15% share, which is right. It's it's close to the 100 targets that you mentioned. Yep. Uh, we've got Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle in that range as well. I've got Chester Rogers and Paris Campbell for now splitting about 13%. I think that's going to be a battle to watch. Uh, it's hard for me to see Funches going much beyond like a 15% range. Uh, he might have tough a tough time reaching that, but I mean, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And again, like you said, if he's only the number 50 receiver in ADP, right. he doesn't have to do a whole lot beyond that to be a nice. Yeah, player. I think if Paris Campbell struggles, you know, adjusting to the NFL, that that you could see Funches get to 17, 18%. But I also projected him at 15% of the targets, which which got him to 93 targets. Yeah, it's actually exactly the number that I have. That's it. That's what he's getting. Uh, <laughs> Paris Campbell, we mentioned, you know, he said earlier, he's clearly got the speed to get downfield, mm-hmm. a 4 3 one guy, but most of his 90 catches last year at Ohio State came in the short range, which seems to fit well with what they had Andrew Luck do last year. And maybe that's a way that they start getting Paris Campbell the ball in the NFL. Yeah. So like you said, only two of his catches last season came 20 plus yards downfield. And only 21 of his 111 targets at Ohio State last year came even 10-plus yards downfield. So he was almost strictly used near the line of scrimmage. Also was a slot guy almost primarily at Ohio State. And I, I think you know that, that's probably how the Colts envision him. But again, there is that upside to be more of a downfield threat. The guy ran a 4.31 second 40 time. And he's not super small either. He's six foot, 205 pounds. Mm-hmm. He'll have to compete with Chester Rogers. And I mean... That might be chuckle-inducing at times, but Chester Rogers ranked fourth on last year's team in targets. He served as the punt returner. Then he was a restricted free agent, and they tendered him at the second-round level. Now, I don't think that the Colts ever thought 
another team was going to try to sign Chester Rogers away at the cost of a second round pick. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that they didn't want Chester Rogers to leave. I think there is a legitimate competition for playing time between Rogers and Campbell. You know, I think both are going to be involved anyway. And the real question here is how much playing time goes to each player in this you know, scenario. Yeah. You know, I think Rogers is a fine player. Like you said, the Colts obviously value him, but they also, you know, gave Devin Funches $10 million. They spent a second round pick on Paris Campbell. So I think ideally Rogers is the fourth wide receiver this season. But again, you know, Campbell, if he struggles in this adjustment, um, I think Rogers is sort of around as an insurance policy and, and, you know, would keep the passing game going. Yeah. I'm not drafting Rogers, but to me, he is a reason that I'm also not really drafting Paris Campbell for, yeah. for 2019. Yeah. That, that, that's fair. On to the tight ends where Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron shared the field for six games last season. In those six games, Doyle out-targeted Ebron 33-22. to He more than doubled Ebron's snaps. Ebron saw 10.3 targets per game when Doyle did not play. He saw 3.7 targets per game when Doyle did play. Ebron did still score some touchdowns when Doyle was on the field. He had four of his 13 came in Doyle games. Had that 19.7% touchdown rate overall, which of course was two more touchdowns than he scored in his four years in Detroit. Uh, how do you see these guys splitting things going forward? Yeah, I mean, that that's the big question, I think. I mean, so you have, you have Jack Doyle, who, who is 29 and coming off hip surgery. So I think first we need to see that he's, you know, back to his old self. If if the playing time and targets are anything like last season, then you know, Eric Ebron is wildly overvalued in fantasy drafts right now. I, I do think, though, that even if Doyle's healthy, we're going to see a bit more going towards Ebron. He, he was good last season, even beyond the touchdowns. And, you know, he, he's not going to repeat his touchdown rate, it was it was nearly 20% last season. So that's going to come down. But he, he was ninth among 28 qualifying tight ends in yards per route run. He was 12th among 28 in PFF's receiving grades. He was better than Jack Doyle in both of those. So again, you know, he had a nice season. He still might be on the ascent. You know, he, he's the younger guy than Doyle. So I do think Moore is going to have Ebron's way. But the question is how much more? Because I think people are basically drafting Ebron like he's going to play the role he did without Jack Doyle last season. Right. And maybe that's possible, but it's not something I'm going to bet on at the price you have to do so to get him. Ebron did tie for eighth in the league among all players in red zone targets last year. And I think that's going to continue to be the biggest thing working in his favor. I can easily see him remaining their top red zone option. It's going to be volatile, though, nicer in best ball than it is in in lineup setting. I think that Eric Ebron set up to disappoint some people in lineup setting leagues where you have to draft. Yeah, me too. Even in best ball, I haven't considered drafting him as just tight ends I like better. Um, The one interesting note I found about Ebron, though, talking about, you know, his red zone role. So he was third among all tight ends in red zone targets with 21. That was actually 10th league wide. But he was just 10th among tight ends in targets inside the 10-yard line. That, that could just be sort of like random variance. He was getting targets you know, from the 11th, from the 11 and 12-yard line or whatever. But I th- just thought it was interesting that he didn't dominate targets inside the 10 like I think a lot of people would think he did. Yeah, there's certainly a chance for that to come down as well. And it's the frustrating thing about looking up red zone targets is how the numbers can differ <laughs> yeah. uh, by the site that you're looking yeah. at. But that's a side point. Who I like, I, I like Doyle at tight end 18. Mm-hmm. I like Funt with probably the best at wide receiver 50 uh, among Colts values. Yeah, as much as I like this offense, I don't I don't love a lot of guys at ADP right now. So Funt is probably my favorite. Um, he's going at wide receiver 51 over the last two weeks. I think, I think he's a clear value there. I do think Jack Doyle, okay at tight end 18. As much as I, you know, and as, as much as we talk down Naheem Hines, he's going running back 49. So I think, you know, if you're talking PPR, he could still provide some value there, probably as a best ball only, because it's kind of tough to know when to start him on a weekly basis. Yeah, I tend to find myself sitting on four running backs by that yeah. point, and, and then I just wait on something later, or I even just take a, a couple of them later if I've had three good ones to that point. Yep. Who I don't like, it's Marlon Mack at RB14. Colts in general, they're expensive because Mm -hmm. they had the big season last year. Uh, I think everybody expects them to remain good this year. You're going to have to pay up to get them. I'm not interested in Andrew Luck at the price of QB2. I certainly think he's capable of finishing there, 
But I also think that you can wait several rounds later and still get another player who's just as capable of finishing. All right, yeah, and if I'm going to take a quarterback in that range, I do prefer Deshaun Watson just for that weekly upside he gives you. So, yeah, I'm not really interested in luck in the mid-sixth round. Again, Marlon Mack at running back 14. If we're talking PPR, that's crazy to me. I think he's like 10 spots lower than that in our rankings. And then Eric Ebron going in the seventh round. I do think that that's down a bit from where it was a month ago. We'll see if it keeps mm-hmm. trending down. You know, if he gets into the eighth or ninth, I think he starts to make more sense but as of now i'm not interested in ebron at his price well, yeah we mentioned jack doyle coming off the hip surgery but ebron's coming off his own surgery uh, right? yeah well i don't remember what it was but yeah he is i was trying <laughs> to remember that too i think it was a mini maybe yeah, something like that anyway we'll move on from the colts now and hit the jaguars and titans and not spend too much time on either <laughs> of these teams for the jaguars the relevant coaching change is john de as the new offensive coordinator what does that mean that's interesting because de filippo and we you know haven't seen a lot of him but in his Two go arounds as offensive coordinator. He's been pass heavy, sixty five point seven percent pass in thirteen games with the Vikings last year. That would have ranked third league wide last year. And then in two thousand fifteen, as the Browns OC, um, Cleveland ranked ninth in pass rate, and that obviously be a big change for the Jaguars, who who have been a run heavy offense lately. Yeah, sixty seven percent pass for the Vikings last year in just the thirteen games that DeFilippo was there. And he reportedly got dumped because he didn't want to run the ball more. I mean, you know, whoever knows the full truth, but that's the report was he and Mike Zimmer clashed over that. I I projected Jacksonville at 63.5% pass because there's the DeFilippo hiring. They gave $50 million guaranteed to Nick Foles. They drafted a tight end in round three. They signed another tight end. They signed Chris Conley. They signed Terrell Pryor. Meanwhile, the backfield is Leonard Fournette a guy that they obviously don't even feel comfortable betting on long-term at this point. And all that's behind him, if and when he gets hurt, is Alfred Blue, Benny Cunningham, and Raquel Armstead. I mean, I think if Fournette gets hurt, this team is going to struggle to run at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I, I thought I was being aggressive projecting them for 59% pass. That That's up about 2.5 percentage points from last year. Um, would have ranked 13th league-wide. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they go higher than that for all those reasons you mentioned. I think this is going to be a team that that's, passes a surprising amount this year. Now, QB notes, does that make Nick Foles a sleeper for me? No. Maybe like a DFS sleeper yeah. here and there. But, I mean, Nick Foles was awesome in the 2017 playoffs for the Eagles. He was awesome in 2013 under Chip Kelly. Otherwise, he's had 28 regular season starts since 2013. He has averaged 223 yards and 1.2 touchdowns over those games. That's a 16-game pace of 3,568 yards, 19 touchdowns. That would have ranked 18th in the league in yards, tied for 21st in touchdowns last year. And he did a lot of that with a much better group of skill players in Philly than he'll have in Jacksonville. It's an interesting group of wideouts that we'll get to in a minute. But when you put it all together, there's just not enough to like at what is fantasy's deepest position. Yeah. Not enough for me to. Yeah, he's had, he's had stretches of strong play that I think were more a you know result of good scheme and good playmakers around him. You sort of look at Fool's overall profile. It's not great. The the pass catching core it has some depth, but it doesn't excite me. And then Fool's isn't going to give you really anything on the ground. So you know, at, at such a deep quarterback position, he, he's a tough guy to get excited about. Yeah, I agree. So we'll move on to running back notes. And Leonard Fournette, you got to start with the injuries. Ankle, foot, knee. He has lost games for three straight seasons dating back to college. He has missed 11 games with injuries so far in the NFL, plus parts of the first two games that he did play in last year. Finished third in the league in carries per game as a rookie. When he did finally play in six of last year's final seven games, he averaged 18.8 carries per game over that stretch. So Fournette would have ranked second in carries per game if he could do that for the season. He should see a boost in receiving, mm-hmm. I think. He's averaged 2.8 catches per game so far, but TJ Yeldon's gone. Yeldon averaged three and a half passes or three and a half catches per game over the past two years, sharing the field with Fournette. Um, we'll see if Fournette can improve on his 3.7 yards per carry career so far, but he doesn't really need to improve in that area as long as he is dominating carry share, target share in the backfield, and the goal line stuff. Yeah, volume, obviously, the mark in Fournette's favor. It really doesn't have any threat to steal his carries, I don't think, as long as he's healthy. And you talked about the passing game. Fournette's actually been good in the passing game. You know, he hasn't been good on the ground through two NFL seasons, but as a pass catcher, um, 78% catch rate, 84 
yards per catch. Um, he's 16th in yards per target among 55 running backs with 50 plus targets over the past two years. And last year he finished sixth among running backs in yards per route run. So I think there's upside there. And again, if we think Jackson was going to throw more actually could help Fournette at least in PPR leagues. Yeah. I mean, if he stays healthy, I think he's in his, I think he's at Ezekiel Elliott level uh, workload. Yeah, he could be. Uh, and, and elsewhere, you know, we mentioned the names, but Alfred Blue, we didn't like him in Houston, certainly don't like him in Jacksonville in a worse offense. I hope that Raquel Armstead overtakes Alfred Blue, Alfred Blue early because at least Armstead comes off the best speed score among this year's combine running backs. Even he, though, 29 career receptions at Temple, just 4.9 yards per carry career. So uh, more exciting, I guess, than Alfred Blue, but exciting is the wrong word to use there. Yeah, well, it, it's definitely a battle to watch considering Fournette's injury history. And I don't think either guy, either Blue or Armstead can be drafted right now. And even if we, you know, get a clear winner out of training camp, I'm not sure that guy's going to be worth drafting. But, you know, again, with Fournette's injury history, there, there's, I think, a decent chance one of those guys is a fantasy factor this season. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Certainly going to be somebody that gets overplayed in DFS <laughs> and uh, bid up too much on waiver wires. Probably. Benny Cunningham's also there heading into his age 29 season, touched the ball 12 times last year. The fact that he's a kick returner probably is keeping him in the league at this point. Yeah, sounds right. Even that has dropped. His average in that area has dropped the past two years, though. (laughs) Pass catcher notes, D.D. Westbrook, before the bye last season, Westbrook drew 15% of Jacksonville's targets. After the bye, that jumped to 24.7%. And it did so without any real clear change in personnel. No big injury to bring it about. Uh, we'll see what the new offensive coordinator thinks. Interestingly, ESPN's Mike DiRocco said in mid-June that Chris Conley had been the team's best receiver through OTAs and many camps. So we'll see what that means as far as roles go. I was looking back at Westbrook shark bites from last year, and uh, DiRocco had him like fifth on the depth chart at one point in August. So I think he's just a D.D. Westbrook hater, so I guess... You know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Duraco there. But yeah, Westbrook finished 33rd, 33rd among wide receivers in PPR points last year. Now, he's a guy that should benefit, hopefully, from improved quarterback play and definitely if the Jaguars pass more this season. Yeah, I agree. And he is the only Jaguars wideout that I'm interested in at this yeah. point because we've got Marquise Lee, who tore his knee up last August, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back until this August. So I don't think you can touch him at all until he gets back on the field. Nope, definitely can't. Keelan Cole, early last year, edged D.D. Westbrook in target share. Mm-hmm. He saw his role diminish around the middle of the season. It followed a couple of fumbles. Then it picked back up late in the year, so maybe coaches got over that issue. So we could see Keelan Cole reemerge as a top three wideout for Jacksonville this year, but he's got to go up against DJ Chark, Chris Conley, Terrell Pryor. And I mean, the fact that all those guys are battling makes me not interested in any of them. Yeah. And I mean, Chark and Conley at least have the athleticism in their favor. Um, Chark tested as a 96% athlete. Um, Conley was 99th percentile back in 2015 or whenever it was, he came out. So those guys are interesting from that perspective. But again, I I think one wide receiver in Jacksonville is going to be fantasy relevant. And beyond that, I think it's going to be tough for them to support a second guy. I'll give Cole a look if he wins the competition come camp and preseason Mm -hmm. and looks like a clear it looks like a clear player among sure. the top two at wideout for them. Yeah, yeah. if we get a clear number two, then that guy's probably worth drafting further down the board. But I, I'm honestly not sure we're going to get that. Yeah, he's the one that I'd be most interested in among them, but not chasing any right now. At tight end, Jeff Swain signed. He moves to a less crowded tight end situation than he had in Dallas, but he also comes with just 35 career catches. And really, third-round pick Josh Oliver is the one that interests me more. Uh, nice receiver on tape, third mm-hmm. among combine tight ends. In 2018, reception market share, fifth in receiving yards market share, eighth in receiving touchdowns, 83rd percentile, 40-yard dash. Yeah, and there was some buzz on Oliver this spring, which which is good to see. But um, you know, th- th- this situation in redraft is a stay away for me. I agree. I like Oliver long-term and Dynasty, but not taking either one for redraft. Who I do like, D.D. Westbrook, wide receiver 45. Uh, that's an easy spot yeah. to bet on his upside with without much risk. Yeah, again, I mean, that's 12 spots lower than he finished last year, and I think there's a pretty good chance he sees more targets this season. I like Leonard Fournette, too. I mean, mid-third rounder. It's Again, it's really just a volume play, and if you're, you know, if you're doing projections, it's kind of tough not to have Fournette 
near the top of the league. You know, we, we have him right now projected for the eighth most carries, 23rd most targets among running backs. And that, that's, I think, in only 14 games. Yeah, I can easily see him being a top 12 back for whenever he's healthy, even if he doesn't spend the whole season healthy. Right. Uh, my only The only reason I haven't drafted him more is he's right in the same range with like Devontae Freeman, Aaron Jones. Yep. Not And I, I'm not interested in anyone else <laughs> at any price right now in Jacksonville. Exactly. Same thing. So on to the Titans, where relevant coaching changes focus on Matt LaFleur leaving to take the Packers head job, probably because he knows Sean McVay, because his one season as the coordinator in Tennessee was not very good. (laughs) Right, yeah. So, you know, tough to say how much of a downgrade new OC Arthur Smith will be. Smith, though, is a complete unknown as a play caller. Um, He's been in Tennessee for eight years. He's actually the longest tenured guy on their coaching staff. Um, Smith actually started as a defensive assistant, has moved to the offensive side of the ball for the past few years. He was the tight ends coach most recently. So you, you think about former defensive assistant, then former tight ends coach, just sounds like a guy who's going to run the ball as much as possible. And an O-line coach along the way before getting the tight ends. So yeah, yeah. He's, he's, been found been talk, he's, he's been talking like somebody that's going to run the ball a lot as well. Tennessee was the second most run heavy offense in the league last year, sixth most run heavy in 2017, third most run heavy the year before that. I, I don't see any reason to not expect more of the same. I have them at 54-46 uh, pass run for my projection. Yeah, it was 53-47 for me, so right in the same ballpark there. I, I hope Smith picks up the pace a bit because the Titans finished 29th in total plays last season. They were 23rd in situation neutral pace, so it would definitely help if, if they can get a few more plays in there. I don't know. Life moves slower south of Mason Dixon line there, Jared. <laughs> it does. QB notes, Marcus Mariota, 26 other quarterbacks scored more fantasy points than he did last season, including six guys who played fewer games than Mariota did. Mariota was 36th in fantasy points per game. Now he's on his fourth offensive coordinator in five seasons. The position has only gotten deeper in fantasy. Last year, I was a Mariota apologist. I was taking him. Uh, This year, I'm not interested unless I'm looking for a third quarterback. Yeah, I, I've liked Mariota for a long time. I mean, I was I was huge on him coming out of Oregon, and I, I've definitely been on board. You know, really for each of his first four years now. But yeah, like you said, so his ranks in fantasy points per game through four seasons: twenty second, eleventh, twenty third, and thirty sixth. So he's really only had one fantasy relevant season. Um, you know, he, he did get the upgraded supporting cast that we'll talk about this season. But again, just in in a run heavy offense, it just, it makes it tough to like Mariota outside of like deep quarterback two territory. Yeah, I will say that I think he's a dynasty hold because his market value is going to be terrible. And I, I don't think that he's done. There's a chance that he could still turn into something, but I'm not betting yeah. a 2019 roster on him. If he turns into something, it's probably going to be outside of Tennessee, honestly. Right. At this point, it wouldn't be surprising. Uh, running back notes, Derrick Henry might like the switch at offensive coordinator. Ar- Arthur Smith said in March, according to ESPN, Derrick will be a big part of the offense. He has a rare skill set. We are taking another step, hopefully, with him. Henry entered last season without ever reaching 14 carries in consecutive NFL games. Finally strung together four lead runner weeks to close last year. Racked up 585 yards, seven touchdowns on 87 carries over that span. Obviously, we're not expecting 22 carries per game going forward, but I would not be at all surprised if Henry finishes this season among the top five in carries per game. Yeah, definitely possible. Um Worth noting that Tennessee won three of those final four games, which obviously helps a guy like Derrick Henry get those carries. Henry no, it Sauger- obviously means that they win whenever he carries that offense. Obviously, obviously, clear. <laughs> Henry saw just three total targets in those last four games, though. So even when he was, you know, the big workhorse on the ground, he wasn't doing anything in the passing game. We'll see if he's going to play a bigger passing game role this season but I still think he he could be a guy who's game script dependent and if you know you don't think Tennessee is going to be better than eight and eight or whatever and I I sort of don't I I think there's going to be some duds from Henry especially in PPR leagues I agree I don't think Tennessee is going to be particularly good I, I do think that even if you draft him early you should consider sitting him when they're heading into uh, matchups where they're like six plus point underdogs uh, because it's not going to be a good game script for him. Lewis, Deion Lewis outcarried Derrick Henry six times over the first 10 games last year. And Henry has averaged just 0.8 catches per game through three seasons. So obviously the rushing thing switched big time late mm-hmm. last season, but they'll hand Deion Lewis the ball 
if that's what the game situation calls for. And he's going to be the clear lead receiver in their backfield. Again, Lewis tied Todd Gurley for 10th among running backs in receptions last year. And last year we saw Titans running backs draw their largest, largest share of team targets since 2014. Right. I mean, if we, we talk about Tennessee being one of the run heaviest offenses this season, you know, even if Henry sees a big share of that that's still going to leave a decent chunk for Deion Lewis. And like you said, he's still going to dominate the passing downward. Even in those final four games last year that Henry had the big numbers, uh, Deion Lewis still uh, totaled 16 targets, so, you know, four targets per game. So I, I don't think he's dead yet in PPR. He's going to be a guy that's probably tough to know when to use him. You know, he he's the guy you'd use if the you know Titans are big underdogs, maybe. I mean, really, Lewis might be the most attractive handcuff right now because, as you said, I think there's a role for him even when Henry is healthy and playing and it, maybe even when the Titans are winning and then he can score then and if Henry goes down, Deion Lewis is the, the main back and we don't even have to project whether he can play at the NFL level. We've seen it across multiple teams at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's the ideal handcuff, a guy who you know could help you even when the guy in front of him doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. Makes Derrick Henry a little bit easier to draft at his early price right now. Pass catcher notes, Corey Davis. I still believe in the player. Mm-hmm. I will take him at his wide receiver 36 ADP, but Davis is not well set up for a big 2019. No, I mean, so he saw a 25.6% target share last season, which is huge. Um, and I think that's coming down with the additions Tennessee's made at wide receiver. And even despite that, he finished at wide receiver 27 in PPR points. Now, like you said, he, he's being drafted like 10 spots later than that. So at price, he's fine. He's just not a guy I can get excited about at this point. Yeah, there's not a high ceiling for this year. Yep. Adam Humphreys is one reason why, because they added him in free agency. Humphreys spent the past two seasons in Tampa Bay in an offense that ranked third and fourth in pass attempts. Now he joins the Titans. They ranked 31st in pass attempts last year. They threw the ball 188 fewer times than the Bucks did. No, I'm not interested in Adam Humphreys at all. Right. So over the last three seasons, Humphreys, Humphreys is 29th among all wide receivers and targets. He's 35th, though, in PPR points. That kind of tells you the type of guy he is. He needs that big volume. He saw 105 targets last year. He'd need injuries in front of him to get there this year. Corey Davis led Tennessee last year with 112 targets. The poor man's Jarvis Landry, I would say. Very poor. <laughs> um, A.J. Brown arrives. Taewon Taylor is still there. Tajay Sharp has reportedly had a nice offseason. It's too many receivers in a bad spot to be a receiver. Yeah, I love A.J. Brown, the player, hate the situation this year. Um, trade trade for him, you know, next next offseason in Dynasty. That is exactly the note that I have down. He looks like a potential Dynasty buy a year from right now because he's probably going to have a very quiet 2019. Agreed. Tight end Delaney Walker enters his age 35 season coming off a year lost to a fractured and dislocated right ankle. In his absence, Janu Smith reached three catches just twice topped 45 yards once and, and now Delaney Walker. So I, that's the positive mm-hmm. Delaney Walker did not have to watch Johnny Smith break out in his absence, but he comes back to a more crowded pass catching situation offense that is no more pass friendly. I don't want Delaney Walker right now. No, either do I. And even beyond the situation, he eats, he, he, he sort of be bucking the odds. If he turns in a big fantasy year this season, mm-hmm. he, he turns 35 in August in NFL history, there's only been 10 seasons of 500-plus yards by a tight end 35 or older. Three of those came from Tony Gonzalez. Two of them came from Antonio Gates. Um, you know, th- Those are future Hall of Famers. Walker's good. He's not on those guys' level. So, again, I, just, I think he's a poor bet, even as late as he's going in drafts right now. And Smith, of course, not only didn't do anything special, he did – he was improving to the point that Marcus Mariota talked him up as improving late in the year, but then Smith tore an MCL and he hasn't been doing a whole lot since then. Yeah, I think he's been sidelined all spring, which you know seems a bit rare for a torn MCL, but you know we'll see if he's able to get on the field for training camp. But yeah, saw just 30 targets in his 12 healthy games last season, and eight of those came in one game. Didn't fare well in yards per route run, didn't fare well in PFF's receiving grade, so not a guy to be interested in in redraft right now. Yeah, you could probably get Smith cheap if you want to stash him as a dynasty yeah. tight end, but uh, not nothing for redraft for me. Yep. Who I like, Deion Lewis at RB50, easily my favorite value among yep. Titans. I have taken some Derrick Henry, uh, particularly early before he climbed up in value, though. I think he was pretty steadily in round four early. Yeah, I was going to say, he's in the mid-third round in drafts over the past two weeks as running back 17 
Aaron Jones, Carrion Johnson, both going behind him. I'll easily take those two guys over Derrick Henry if we're talking PPR. Yeah, I do. I do like Derrick Henry more than somebody else with this with a similar profile. I think he's going to have some huge games mixed in. So I think he's like the Will Fuller at running back. <laughs> Bring it full full circle. Nice. There you go. Who I don't, uh, I would say Delaney Walker. I mean, I can't fault you if you want to take some shots on him at tight end 18, but uh, I'll take somebody else. Yeah, to me, Delaney Walker and Marcus Mariota are like in the same boat. Like they're they're going late enough where like it's fine, but even at those prices, there's other guys I'm more interested in. Yeah, Gerald Everett should be your target over Delaney Walker, there and you, you can wait much longer to do it. There you go. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we project all the players we just discussed on this show, plus hundreds more. You can also find every episode of this projections breakdown series and read the in-depth profiles on all of these players that we've gone through. You can find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShopDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 